Turn with me in God's word, please, to 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Two Corinthians five, verse twelve. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or counting their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then... We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray once more. Lord, hear us. For your mercy's sake, bless us for your glory's sake. Teach us that we might know you. Instruct us that we might magnify you. Save us, O God, that we might serve you. And lead us that we might honour you. Hear our cry, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. It was not easy for the Apostle Paul to be a minister of the gospel, but he delighted to be such. You often hear notes of thrill, notes of wonder, notes of delight in his testimony concerning the grace that has been shown to him. He boasts in the cross of Jesus Christ. He magnifies the grace of the Lord Jesus You have it here in some of the the language that he uses and in the testimony that he gives. From verse 18, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Now, you cannot imagine, can you, Paul just writing those words down or dictating them? How do you think the apostle spoke? As he said, not only have we been reconciled to God, not only has God restored the breach between him and us, but he's committed to us the ministry, the service of reconciliation. We have been not only made beneficiaries of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have been called to declare that finished work. The ministry of reconciliation, the ministry by which God in his holiness and man in his misery and wickedness have been brought back into a right relationship on the basis of Christ's atoning sacrifice is the the blessing that every Christian knows and the privilege of Paul and others like him to proclaim. So Paul here is not just uh, speaking a theory. Paul is marvelling that he is imploring sinners on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. He gets to tell people as if God himself were speaking, be reconciled, come back, trust in God, approach him relying on the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and you will have peace with God. This portion as a whole involves the apostle describing some of what happens to those who are in this relationship to God. It's the the springboard, if you like, for some of these notes of wonder and delight. You see, when you've been reconciled to God, when you have come to God in Christ, when you have been joined to the Lord Jesus by faith, you have died in Christ. And now you live for him. You live no longer for yourself, says the apostle, but for him who died for us and rose again. It's a transforming relationship. To be reconciled to God is to to die in him and then to live for him. It changes everything. It changes both who we are and the perspective that we have. Paul says in verse 16, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That is, we don't look at the world the way that the world looks at the world. We don't make the kind of judgments that the world makes. We don't draw the kinds of distinction that the world draws. We don't dismiss those that the world dismisses and applaud those whom the world applauds. We're seeing now with eyes that have been opened by the Spirit of God. That means we see Christ clearly. We no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. We no longer see him as despised and forsaken of God. We no longer see him as an outcast and and accursed permanently. We understand that this is the Son of God who's come into the world. We see the value of his cleansing blood. We understand the accomplishments of his saving work. We appreciate that this Jesus, the despised man of Nazareth, is none other than God's Lord and Christ. And it is him we proclaim, it is him in whom we trust, and it is through him that we come into this life. And so says the Apostle, right in the middle of this section. Here's the consequence of this transformation. Here's the reality of what has happened when the love of Christ compels us to speak in this way, when men and women are reconciled to God. If anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is what it means to be made new. This is what is involved in this reconciliation. This is the fruit of the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. This is what a preacher like Paul and a preacher like me following the apostles is able to invite you to this morning and to declare to you as the reality for all who are in Christ. It begins with a clear statement. If anyone is in Christ... Now, that's absolutely inclusive. Everything that follows in this statement is going to be true of anyone who is in Christ Jesus. There are no exceptions, qualifications or caveats negatively or positively. What follows must be true of anyone and everyone who answers the description that is found in this phrase, if anyone is in Christ. That means that if what follows is not true of you, then you cannot claim to be in Christ. But if you are in Christ, everything that follows must be true of you. So on the one hand, there's clarity. It's possible to know who is in Christ, because if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you answer that description because you're in Christ, then these things are so. It's also a matter of comfort. Because if we are in Christ, and perhaps battling against remaining sin, struggling with our circumstances, then this is the great reality upon which we are hanging our hopes This then is real, true and sure for everybody who answers the following description. Anyone who is in Christ. And so this clear statement begs a particular question. Are you in Christ this morning? That's a sweet situation. That's the second thing I want you to see. The clear statement, if anyone is in Christ, the sweet situation, what is it to be in Christ? What is this description that the apostle uses? Well, you notice he doesn't say if anyone is in church. Being here this morning does not entitle you to claim what follows in this verse. Being in the church physically or even sacramentally, what do I mean by that? It's not about whether or not you've been baptised. Not about whether or not even if you've been biblically immersed as one who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. The act itself is not what makes you safe. And there are many people who get wet or damp in a number of different religious environments who would assume that they are safe. It's not just being in a building. It's not just embracing some of the rights and the rituals it doesn't say if anyone belongs to a particular family this is true of them your father your mother each both may be christians they may have a long pedigree of faithful service in the church of jesus christ but it doesn't say if you belong to a certain family 
doesn't say that you belong to a certain social class or a certain wealth bracket. Remember, we no longer see people according to the flesh. It's the instinct of the world to look at outward privilege and to assume perhaps that that God is somehow particularly favourable and maybe to look at outward disadvantage and to be dismissive and disgusted. But Paul doesn't say this is because you're a free man or a slave, because you belong to a certain ethnic group. doesn't say if anyone is in England or Britain or anywhere else. Nothing to do with nationality, nothing to do with ethnicity. You notice also, though, that he doesn't say if anyone is near Christ. See, in one sense, you are that this morning. doesn't say if anyone is around Christ. You're hearing his word read. If you've been singing, your praises have been, his praises have been in your mouth. Perhaps you've been around Christ all your life. You do have godly parents who've taught you. You've been in the church services Sunday by Sunday, maybe morning and evening, week after week, month after month, year after year. You've got a Bible. You could even be in the habit of reading the Bible, or at least it's available to you. But it's possible to be near Jesus all your life and never in Christ in the way that the Apostle is talking about here. Possible to be around him. Possible, as it were, to almost breathe the air of his presence and yet not to know these mercies. Paul isolates, restricts, includes these things for anyone who is in Christ. Anyone who is in Christ. All and any who are united to Jesus by faith. It's the simple language of putting your trust in Jesus. The simple language of resting upon him in order to obtain peace with God. It's a description of what it means to understand that you need to be reconciled to God. That your sins have made you obnoxious to him. That God in his holiness and in his justice must punish sin. And there are only two places in which he punishes it. Either at Calvary or in the horrors of the depths of hell. And then unless you have a man who knew no sin, who was made sin for you, and unless you have become the righteousness of God in that sinless man, then you are without hope in this world and for the next. To be in Christ is at least in some measure to recognise that you need him in order that you might be reconciled to God and so to come to him and to confess that you have nothing to offer and that it is his blood and righteousness which is all your confidence and that by having him you can be accepted in God's beloved son that you have peace with God having been declared righteous in God's sight through that faith in Jesus Christ. If someone asked you to summarise simply and substantially the sweetness and significance of salvation, 
you could do a lot worse than say it means to be in Christ. What is a Christian? A man in Christ. What is your blessing? I am in Christ. What is your hope? I am in Christ. Where does your confidence lie? I am in Christ. He bore my sin. In him I am made clean. In him God has put away the judgment that my transgressions deserved. In him I am brought to God. I am now seen by God in Christ Jesus. I stand before God. I am in the presence of God. I am seated with him in the heavenlies even now because I belong to him by faith. I have hope in him. My confidence of the inheritance that lies ahead. My assurance of the coming resurrection. Where does that come from? In him. In him by faith. United to him, called into union and communion with him so that everything that he has secured, all the blessings of his accomplishments, all the the outworking of his redemption, all the fruits of his sacrifice as the spotless lamb laying down his life in order to deliver me, All the fruits of the finished work of Jesus become mine if I am in him. And remember, not mine because of my family, not mine because of some accident of birth, not mine because of the clothes I wear, the colour of my skin, my nationality, my bank balance, my intelligence or lack of it or any of these other things. If anyone is in Christ Whoever believes in him enters into this union with him. My friends, if you've trusted in Jesus, then you share the life of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You share the resurrection life of him who died for your sins but rose again for your justification. I'm glad you're in church. I'm glad you're under the sound of the good news. I'm delighted that this morning the ministry of reconciliation, the word of peace is being sounded here once again. Some of you have the privilege of having heard this good news in this or another building all your life. Some of you have been raised up and trained in a home where the gospel is loved and proclaimed and explained and you should never ever underestimate those particular blessings most of you are here with a host of mercies that do relate to your outward circumstances but there's a sense in which I care not for any of it if you are not in Christ because to be outside of him all those other things are dust and ashes there is no happiness no hope no health of spirit for those who are outside of Jesus Christ my concern for you this morning is that you be in him for yourself not just near him not just around him you remember that time when Christ was passing down the road and there was a man A blind man sitting by the side of the road. He heard that Jesus was passing by. And he began to shout with all his might. 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. We don't know how many other people knew that Jesus was passing by that day and shrugged. Some who maybe even were sitting not far from that blind man, but had nothing of the appetite and the desire that he had. I am terrified for some of you, lest Jesus should pass this way again today. And you should be so near to Christ. You should even, as it were, be able to breathe the air of his passing. And yet leave not being in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul is stunned by this ministry of reconciliation. That he can speak as I can speak this morning. As if God were pleading through me. Imploring you this day on behalf of Jesus himself. Be reconciled to God. Come to him. Come by Christ. Trust in the Saviour. Because if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you start then with this clear statement. If anyone is in Christ, you dive into this sweet situation. If anyone is in Christ, this is the great qualification. And then the apostle goes on to show the new identity. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the language is blunt in the original. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. That's the reality. That's the identity of all those who are enjoying the fruits of the reconciliation that the Lord Jesus has accomplished by becoming sin for us and offering us our righteousness, which he himself had secured. And Paul likes to use this language. He uses it fairly often. And here in Corinthians, among the Corinthians as well. You can go back to chapter 4 and verse 6. He uses this creation language to emphasize the power of what is taking place. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now that's a marvel, isn't it? That God should make the light of the knowledge of the glory of God to shine in your dark heart. But Paul says, what's the parallel? How do you understand the magnitude of what's taken place? The God who made light to shine out of darkness. He's talking about creation. The God who at the beginning said, let there be light has with the same power spoken to those who are dark in their hearts. And where there was darkness, God has brought forth light. What he did in the creation at the first, he has done in new creation. So that if anyone be in Christ, new creation. It's radical language. It's absolute language. You'll find it again in Galatians chapter 6. God forbid, verse 14, that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Why does Paul say that to the Galatians? Because there were people who were saying, you need to become more Jewish. You need to be circumcised and keep the law in order to get to God. No, says the apostle. 
In Christ, nothing avails with regard to circumcision or uncircumcision of the flesh. It's a new creation. That's what counts. It's that circumcision of the heart of which we heard last Lord's Day. Or again in Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 10. We are his workmanship. What has God done? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. The man or woman, the girl or the boy who has been reconciled to God is a new creation. Or chapter 4 and verse 24. You need to put on the new man created according to God. You see Paul's language. The wonder of it, the thrill of it, the depth of it, the height of it. The God who made all things makes new the ones who are in Christ Jesus. By the same spirit who at the first hovered over the deeps, hovered in the darkness and in the chaos and called forth order and life. By that spirit, the same darkness and chaos of the fallen human soul is reordered and remade. You see, he doesn't say you've got a different performance. He doesn't say you've got a new label slapped on you. No, he says you are a new creation. You have a new nature. You have been made over. You have been transformed by the power of God. You belong no longer to this present evil age. You belong to the age which is to come. In John chapter 5 and verse 24, the Lord Jesus makes a a similar declaration, a similar offer. I say to you most assuredly, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Whoever hears me and believes in him who sent me. Whoever understands this ministry of reconciliation and receives it as it is offered by God in Christ has the life of the age to come and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. What does it mean to pass from death to life? It means to be a new creation. You've already heard Galatians chapter 6. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. You can have Ephesians, uh, sorry, Colossians again. Chapter 3 and verse 11. Paul makes a similar point. You have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Does he mean there's no outward difference or distinction? No, if you had a congregation here that was full of Jews and Greeks, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the barbarians and the Scythians, the slaves and the free, you would be able to look around and you'd probably be able to make some of those distinctions. But you need to remember that we no longer see according to the flesh. Outwardly, there's distinction. In Christ, new creation. Exactly the same saving reality, privilege and blessing 
for every person who is in Christ. That means that no matter who you are or what you have done, no matter what ugly sins mar your conscience, no matter what terrible history may be written in your past, no matter what you may at times still feel guilt and shame for, as we shall see in a moment, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. That's the distinction that matters. That's the important relationship. Whatever else you are, if you're in Christ, new creation. What does that mean? It means a fresh start, and then it means a bright life. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Old things have passed away. Some of you perhaps sigh with the most profound relief if you understand what it means that old things have passed away. If you've got any sense of the sins of your past, you sigh with relief and with gratitude. Paul is telling us that there was a distinct and definite moment, a particular event that happened in which old things disappeared. It's the moment of regeneration. It's the moment in which God gave you new life. It's the moment in which you became in Christ a new creation and faith blossomed in your soul. You have been made alive with him. And therefore, old things have passed away. You're no longer a dead man. You're no longer a dead woman. You were enslaved, but your chains have fallen off. You were blind, but now you can see. You were rebellious, and now you're in submission to him. You were prejudiced, now you understand the truth. You were ignorant, and now you see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. All that I was, Bonar taught us to sing. All my sin, all my guilt, all my grief, all my shame, that was mine, and it's gone. It's taken away. It's washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Praise God, my guilt is gone. There are so many guilty people in this world. There is only one thing that can take away the guilt of sin, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't do it a bit. The old is gone, and it's gone for good. It's removed, it's taken out of the equation. All oh, the shame and the horror of my past transgressions that has been swept away on the crimson tide of the blood of Jesus Christ. All oh, my values and my views that I was once wedded to, the way that I thought of sin, the appetites that I had for it, the desires that I, with which I longed for it, that's been taken away from me because the old has passed away. My thoughts of self my selfishness, my arrogance, my pride, my self-determination, my self-reliance, my self-righteousness, that is gone. My disdain of Christ, my confusion, why anybody should take any time with him. The fact that I couldn't understand why people would read this book, why anybody would sing these hymns. Why do people sit and listen to this stuff about Jesus? But you see him now. 
you understand him now. The Spirit of God has opened your eyes and that old disdain, that old neglect, that old ignorance, it has been carried away. The principles by which you once lived have been struck down. The practices which you once pursued have been taken away. The world has been crucified to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. Self has been dethroned. Has that happened to you? If anyone is in Christ, that one is a new creation. And that means that the old things have passed away. You are not what you once were. Now the devil will whisper at this precise moment, but you're not what you should be. We'll come on to that. But you are not what you once were. I want you to look into your soul. Can you say that? I am not what I once was. I know something of what I was. I've taken those ugly glimpses into the mirror of God's word and I've seen the vileness of my heart. And I'm not what I was. Old things have passed away. And now there's a bright and brightening life. Behold, all things have become new. It's the language of triumph. It's the language of wonder. It's the language of the man we used to call Saul of Tarsus, who's now Paul, the little man, the apostle. It's the language of the man who was a violent, insolent, blaspheming persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ who saw the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ and whose life was transformed. It's the language of joyful marvel. And Paul wants you to enter into it. We've been reconciled. Not I... Or you, but we. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself, not imputing our trespasses to us. It is through Christ Jesus that we have come into possession of these things. Behold. My friend, can you say that? Behold. Look at you. Look at me. Look at us. What's happened to us? Men and women, boys and girls who are on our way to hell. Who have been turned toward heaven. Old things have passed away. All things have become and remain new. This is a newness that does not fade or fail. This is an enduring transformation. Now in Christ, our hearts are alive our souls are thriving and from the heart out that life that we have in Christ is increasingly revealed we are showing the reality of the new creation 
and it's happening day by day. Remember again 524 of John's Gospel. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That's who you are. Now you may still need to get rid of some of the grave clothes. You still need to to cultivate and develop this life. You must put to death remaining sin. But praise God, it's no longer reigning sin because the old has passed away. What has come is the new and it cannot be stamped out. John, having quoted Christ in John 5 in chapter 21 of the Revelation He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. You see, my friends, if you're in Christ, then you're participating in the life of the world which is to come. And that's what your inheritance must be. That when all things are made new, you who already have that new life in you, that will be your inheritance. That will be the moment of the outward as well as the inward transformation. That's where those green shoots that are now growing up in what was once the dead soil of your sinful heart, having been made alive, that's where they finally bloom and blossom in the glory which is to come. You belong to the new creation. It's in you now and it cannot be taken away from you. You are not what you will be and you may not be. You are not what you perhaps, I hope, long to be. But can you look into your heart and say this? Old things have passed away. You cannot say that outside of Jesus Christ. And outside of Jesus Christ, you cannot say that. You see the clarity and you see the comfort? If you are still everything that you were, then you are not in Christ. There's the clarity. If you still cling to the things of this world, if your religion is a mere sham, if you're near Christ, around Christ, in church, but not in Christ, and the old things haven't passed away, if the yearnings and desires and intents of your heart are still for the things of this fallen world, and you're not in Christ and you need to come to Christ. But if you are in Christ, then old things have passed away. And all things have become new. Look at it, says the apostle. Marvel at this. That in your sin-sick, transgressing, dead heart, you now see a life that no one and nothing but the Spirit of God could have implanted you see a life that belongs not so much to you but to the Christ who loved you and gave himself for you and the life that you now live you live no longer for yourself but for him who died for you you have a new heart then you have a new song you have a new work you want to please him you have new desires you love what he loves You have a new hope. You have the glory which lies ahead. You have a new peace because your guilt and your shame have been washed away. You keep new company, the excellent of the earth, in whom are all your delight. To be amongst the people of God is now your joy. And you have that new destiny. You are looking forward 
to the great hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 43, the prophet says from verse 16, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honour me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. You're drinking the rivers in the desert. Are you alive today because of the waters in the wilderness? Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, says God through Isaiah, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. As the new heavens and the new earth which I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. All things have become new. And the newness cannot be undone. It must show itself in the life of someone who is a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Is that your experience? And look, look with wonder. All things have become new. And this is the reconciliation that we offer. This is what I offer to you this morning. That if you will come to God by Christ, you will be a new creation. The old will go and it cannot be dragged up from the grave. The new will come and will continue to blossom in your life. To the apostles and those who follow them, This ministry of reconciliation has been granted. And I can say to you with God's own words, I can say to you as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, come now to the Saviour and be reconciled to God. And all that you are, your sin, your guilt, your shame will be washed away. And all that you are not, God will give you in Christ Jesus. Your sin put on him. Punished in the Lamb of God. His righteousness granted to you that you should stand accepted with God. We need to explain this. We need to explain this because it's easy to get confused, easy to become distressed easy to be deceived. The devil will twist this every which way he can. As a church, we need to expect it. How do you know that someone's a Christian? Because they're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, it doesn't matter what the starting point is, doesn't matter what outward appearance there may be, if a man, a woman, a child is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. 
And that's what we should be looking for and expecting as the result of our gospel ministry. We need to encourage it. We need to help one another to pursue these things. We need to cultivate in our own hearts and in the hearts of our brothers and sisters that new life that is only in Christ Jesus. We need, in the best sense, to demand it. We will not let anybody say they are in Christ where there is no new creation. We cannot afford to blur those boundaries. What is the most dangerous thing that I could do for you this morning? It's to let you walk out of here either thinking that you're in Christ when you're not or somehow diluting and dragging down the reality of the new life. You need to know that the church of Jesus Christ is made up of new men and women. New not because they've tried hard or worked hard or done better than you, but new because they've been reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. And my friends, we need to delight in it. This isn't just like a measuring tape. This isn't a checklist. This is the wonder of sinners who have seen God's mercy toward us in Christ Jesus. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all. Do you hear the wonder of that? He died for us, brothers and sisters. He laid down his life for me and for you, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. I've been set free from slavery to sin and self. I live now for him who died for us and rose again. And from now on I see with new eyes, and so do you. We regard no one according to the flesh. You can look around this room and you can see men and women who live in Christ, who are your brothers and sisters, part of the family of God. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And so if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, think of it. Look at it. Wonder because of it. And rejoice on account of it. All things have become new. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. And I say it again to anybody still outside this morning. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ.